0: Future future Friday. Friday. Hello everybody, uh, welcome to another episode of Future Friday here with Hamish Hallett and John Beasy. Uh, for this week we are talking about the future of manufacturing. So a really interesting topic and something that is very very important uh, throughout this day and age um, and we've seen you know growth of a population um, and also a lot of trends you know impacting or trajectories. That may impact the uh, manufacturing industry so um the first question um to you to you john is kind of what tr- what are the trends for the manufacturing industry and which trends are impacting the industry as a whole so which trends are like industry
1: yeah so long you know long-standing trends have been um, increasing globalization and uh, automation so Generally, the outsourcing of manufacturing to um, jurisdictions with cheaper with cheaper labor and and perhaps uh, looser regulations, and the tendency to move towards um, less uh, more more automation, less human uh, labor in in work. So while we see a lot of um, so like a lot of manufacturing jobs, you know, leave Western countries when they do return. Um, when they tend not to employ as many people as they used to because they're employing greater automation companies are incentivized to, um, you know, why, why have a factory in this one country when labor costs three times as much, when I can go to this other country and it's, you know, a third of the price.
0: No, definitely. I think it's um, very interesting to see how we see over this day and age. Well, mostly throughout the years, you see, um, most, like companies or um, or whoever tries to look into other countries for labor rather than actually employ um, the workforce within their countries, which is quite interesting to see. Um, And also it's quite interesting actually to see uh, China um, in manufacturing. So recently they came out, I think it's either last year or it's pretty recent, they came out with a made in China plan. So this is according to an article by Elsa B. Kanya um, uh, via the diplomat saying made in China 2025 explained so this was basically saying that China wants to be the manufacturing superpower so I think China of course it's been I think we, we talked about it in one episode I think automation recognition and how they want to be the you know be, to become this big automated state but now it's now wanting to be this manufacturing superpower I think it'll be very interesting to see how they develop as this power. I mean, they are already this huge power anyway, because you, you get a lot of products which are made in China, but the fact is, now they're going to try and do it through what you have talked about, like automation, which potentially might then lose a lot of business in China, because what's, what's the point of, you know, um, trying to create factories with workers when they can just do it anyway? So I think, it'll be, I think the made in, China, made in China plan would be a, quite an interesting thing to see. So what are your thoughts are.
1: On this yeah well on the other hand um china wants to automate because chinese labor is becoming more expensive oh is it okay,
0: you know, okay. well reason. yeah
1: as, as their standards of living rise and as the chinese middle class grows more people are earning more money and so yeah. they're the cost of chinese labor is going up now af- you know african countries are now china's china they're that they do yes. a lot of the resor- raw uh, resource extraction that China to feed the Chinese economy. Mm. No, that's interesting. And it's likely that as you know, as um, labor costs rise in China, it, you know, it's just the same thing we saw before. Uh, you know, labor costs rose in the West, so manufacturing moved somewhere cheaper. Labor costs rise in, in Japan, rise in Korea, and rise in China. They they'll move elsewhere to wherever they can to wherever labor's cheapest. Mm.
0: That's interesting.
1: And wherever yeah. can, can enable that. Yeah. The other trend is the um, other thing is uh, just in time manufacturing, which is a big, um, which I think is something we're seeing a, a lot of the issues of today. Which is where you manufacture things um, rather than try to you know manufacture everything in batches and you have um, you know stockpiles of goods. Rather you you uh, you arrange things in such a way so things are assembled just in time for delivery. So you basically don't really keep stockpiles of anything. You just, you know, if you're expecting, you know, an order of five things, you start building them now rather than waiting, rather than, you know, waiting until you have the five things and then start selling them.
0: Okay, fair enough. So it's like, okay, cool. So it's, it's not just, because I, I, I feel like a lot of people try and send in stock to places first before the order happens anyway you know and then once someone picks the order you then have it straight away whereas well you're what wait where's what you're saying it's like someone has let's say someone orders something and you just create it straight away is that kind of what you are trying to say
1: pretty much you yeah. like imagine like ford instead of you know assembling twenty thousand cars and then shipping them out they'll you know okay if you if you place an order or rather yeah with Rather than you placing an order with Ford and them giving and then drawing on their stockpiles of already assembled cars, they will asse- like they will have assemble the, arrange their menu, their assembly lines to such efficiencies so that they can essentially cre- uh, send uh, create those cars for the order.
0: Yeah. Okay. No, that's interesting. That is really really cool because I find because then. It's like these businesses are probably trying to create so many things and then most of the time they might not even sell some of that stock and then that stock is just left there,
1: you know, and then you have to then try and minimize that kind of overhead. Mm -hmm.
0: No, massively. And in that sense, it saves businesses a lot of cost if that then happens, you know, so it has, you know, so they don't have to do, you know, for example, like massive sales of of products. So that's a good way of trying to. Mm so That's
1: interesting. But on the downside is you don't keep stockpiles of anything. Hmm. How, so if you have a stockpile of something, you don't. If you if you have a sudden if you have a sudden increase in demand, you might not be able to uh, to meet that demand in time, wow. because the whole system set up is a very is a very sensitive. You know you only have so much capacity. Of course. And so yeah. bas- the systems are set up, and so we can assemble everything we need up until this point. But if demand suddenly exceeds that point, then we will we, we'll have a temporary shortage until, manufa- until either demand diminishes or they expand capacity.
0: Yeah, no, of course. And um, I actually found something pretty interesting um, where we're looking into like kind of the challenges of manufacturing. And there, I think a lot of businesses are having a bit of a, an issue of, you know, either... Do they invest in their existing technologies so of course digitalization has occurred through many industries including manufacturing do they currently exist and with the systems they have in place do they invest more in them or do they invest in these new technologies like automation robotics um, and they're facing that kind of big challenge because they're not too sure what to do and then another survey i actually found a, a very interesting survey which surprised me when i was read it so this So the whole challenge between existing and new technologies, that was through Drew Evans' fictive sort of post saying, looking ahead, the future of manufacturing 2020 and beyond. And then I found another post which was talking about a Forbes survey. So this was in Klaas Allian Manufacturing Global uh, article called Automate, why automation can be a business's best friend. So this survey said that 90% of businesses recognize the importance of these technologies and helping their workers but this is a huge butt, only 36 percent of executives believe they can meet these obligations so it's like even though yes it's like they might see the absolute importance of these technologies trying to employ them they're very like unsure maybe they don't have the capacity and what you've been saying with the whole let's say demand goes rising up it's like what are these factories and these industries don't match to demand you know so i think it's interesting to see
1: yeah i mean well they don't i mean if they don't have demand then they rise up to meet demand that's what we're seeing now like in the same case of say like the example we see today are um like medical supplies mm, yep. you know a lot of things you know they're not really set up to expect a massive surge in demand for for gowns or masks or other medical equipment But now they have to, um, and so you see temporary shortages, but, and, and but as, um, other businesses, um, start shifting towards manufacturing other things, you know, other than their, their original goods, you know, we might see like, for example, Tesla's now manufacturing ventilators, repurposing Uh, their factories, which aren't manufacturing cars towards something more, um, to, to meet that demand and capacity. Do you know if there's I a... Sorry, go ahead. No, oh, you, you go.
0: Sorry, I was just about to say, Like, do you know if there's a way of... Um, how do you kind of... I know this would be a very difficult question to ask, but it's like, how do you... It's like, I don't know, how, how do you kind of try and not have these shortage, shortages in these like products like you mentioned, like medical, like PPE or like ventilators? Like how... It's very it difficult because sometimes well, you have this crisis. Yeah, sorry, go
1: ahead. You you have to you know that's why you mean that's why it's important for governments to maintain stockpiles of of important yeah. goods mm. because it's not that's the uh, what problem is it's not profitable for businesses to maintain stockpiles to maintain supply but if uh, we're in an economy where you're already where the it's Primarily focused on profit maximization, you don't invest in things that, you know, that do those things. You don't invest in things that aren't pro- that aren't profitable, but might actually be beneficial in the long run. And now we're seeing the problems where, you know, you do what's profitable, but you don't think about what's good in the long run. And now you're paying the price. Of course.
0: No, it was interesting. Yeah. No, it's it's. Maybe then governments maybe need to do more of the stockpiling, whereas the businesses need to maybe create like more business-wise. But I don't know. But then that then it's like governments and businesses right now have to work work with each other quite a lot now to create these masks or create um, PPE, for example, and all these kind of things. So maybe it's yeah, it's a very interesting kind of way to try and balance that out. Yeah, yeah definitely. And um, what kind of other trends? have you seen um, in the manufacturing industry or like what other kind of most big notable differences have you seen in manufacturing other than like I automation? Think,
1: I think the big thing that we're just on the cusp of is um, biodigital technologies. Mm-hmm. So that is the application and manipulation of biological systems uh, for you know, human purposes. So that can be things such as creating alternative raw materials from say bacteria cultures or growing fungi that can produce whatever so say for example there's um there was a a design studio in finland that created a some headphones called the korva headphones Mm. as a kind of proof of concept where all the um, materials with the exception of the electronics all the materials in these headphones are created from bioengineered materials. So the mesh covering the speakers is made from a biosynthetic spider silk created by microbes. The outer foam is created by fungus filaments combined with plant cellulose. The inner foam that covers the ears is made of cellulose and hydrophobin, a uh, foaming protein created by fungus. And the faux leather is uh, made from another fungus. And the headband is 3D printed using bioplastic made from yeast-produced lactic acid. So when you have all these different um, materials that can be produced biologically, then what you've really done is you've, if these cultures can essentially be grown anywhere, then manufacturing has taken on a whole new dimension. You no longer have to uh, transport raw materials. You no longer have to make sure that, um, you know, you don't really have to, necessarily centralize um you don't have to centralize all your manufacturing processes because we see you know lots of um you usually tend to have one big factory and that covers an that serves an area rather than many smaller factories because we have an, um you know, the economies of scale things get cheaper as you do more of them But as we have these new technologies, especially if they can be um, harnessed in say 3D printing and all their blueprints and designs can be easily and potentially freely distributed through digital files, then all you can really then, what you can do is customization comes at no extra cost. So we move away from economies of scale and we move Towards economies of scope where businesses focus on producing as many goods um, as widely or producing producing certain goods with very wide range of uh, customizability you can imagine taking like a 3d picture of your foot and then have that model send it over to um, a shoe making ai that will then create little shape you know you can choose um that'll take the shoe and model it to your exact foot so you know no longer have to go with standardized sizes you can now have clothing and things that are made specifically and perfectly just for you mm. and then if these all the manufacturing goods are taken out are maintained in you know communities then you can just um you know you no longer have to have everything made in china and have everything shipped everywhere you can you know live in the desert and your community can be self-sufficient you can be wherever you are in the world and your community can create whatever goods you need which can um which works with that uh just-in-time manufacturing just as well you no longer have to make you don't have to have one come one place make everything it's a lot cheaper and easier to do just in time when it's you know be manufactured down the street rather than uh, halfway across the world
0: mm. No, definitely. I think it also creates a lot of benefits. Um, I definitely think like in the environment, in the environmental sense, um, hugely because of the fact that um, you don't have, yeah, you don't have to go to, for example, get some materials from China and then transfer it through like an airplane all the way to say, let's say Canada or in England, you know, so that's really good. The fact that three D printing has grown, it's not just grown in manufacturing, it's grown. Obviously we've mentioned in construction, um, so I think 3D printing definitely is interesting and the fact like you, we can now, we're in such a day and age where you can potentially create all these new materials and new products which I think is super cool, you know with the headphones I think it's super super nice um, I've also got a weak signal which I'll, I'll discuss a bit later which does go on, go in a little bit more about 3D printing but no I think it's a, it's a very interesting trend to see do you know like other kind of big materials as well that get created through 3D printing
1: I mean, it's, um, 3D print. well, 3D printing itself is one technology, but there's all sorts of different materials you can do. Um, they're finding new ways to do, you know, transform all sorts of different bacteria, fungi, and other microbes, and other organisms, and other organisms, into um, whatever kind of materials we can, we can use. Um yeah okay
0: fair enough yeah no it's interesting yeah and then yeah i like no that's yeah definitely i think that's one very big trend that we will probably well we'll probably will see in the future potentially as a possible future um and then just to kind of relate this a little bit to what's going on right now um how has covid 19 impacted manufacturing and will this impact be kind of significant Because I've kind of been seeing a little bit about a lot of factories have had to kind of shut down a little bit because of what's going on. Even though you've got the likes of Amazon, like, you know, workplaces still being open, for example, because, you know, they have such huge demand and because a lot of people are home, they're going to order more stuff online. Um, Obviously, that's one place that is still kind of operating, even though I don't know if there's a lot of these reports saying about workers also getting COVID-19 so that's very suspicious but some I know quite a few so I've mentioned yeah a few like workshops being closed even like car manufacturing places have actually shut because of COVID-19 and now I think a few of them are trying to reopen as well so yeah John what has in your opinion have you seen much of an impact in manufacturing because of this virus?
1: I think what an interesting thing it shows is um, the fragility of certain supply chains. It's um, the other, because it's one thing is the virus doesn't hit the entire world, each country at the same time with the same level of force. China got it first, Chinese manufacturing responds and slows down to that. But now for the most part, um, you know, manufacturing has continued and is uh, going and is going back what it was you know Apple before was struggling to we had to re- really shut down production and now production's back up yeah we're seeing America American manufacturing suffer because it's hitting the, it's hitting America now, but as it goes and hits different places in the world at different times, we'll realize the dependencies we have on those specific countries for producing certain goods.
0: Mm. So, so in that sense, you're going to have to change your way um, of trying to trade country. So, let's say country A is now impacted by the virus. You then have to go to the country B to get such and such products made. It's like kind of like that kind of thing.
1: Yeah, like if country yeah country A is sick, so you can't get product A. Mm-hmm. So you have to yeah. find alternatives for getting product A. Um, either find domestic suppliers or find um, alternative foreign sources so it and it shows um you know there's certain goods we can probably live without you know if we want rubber dog poop from uh from a factory in china we don't really necessarily um you know we're fine if that factory shuts down but if we're realizing that say um in the context of canada if we're realizing that all um you know, most of our N95 masks are manufactured in the United States and the United States doesn't want to export them, then we have mm-hmm. to find other ways to, you know, get those goods. So it really draws attention um, to certain issues of uh, sovereignty Do you have, and security. Do you have domestic supplies uh, and suppliers of certain critical goods or are you dependent on foreign sources? As, we yeah. see, as we've seen over the last you know, 30 years of, of free trade and globalization, a lot of the focus, a lot of the arguments for that is comparative advantage. If one country can produce more uh, certain goods more efficiently, even if, even if they can produce larger numbers in absolute terms, they still benefit from trading with other countries if every country produces that which they produce best. But if we have that kind of model, then if we, if we divest ourselves, if we invest each, each country is invested entirely in producing certain goods, then when they're dependent on, the country, when the country that does produce the good they need is unable to do so, they, they can't do it at an effect they either don't have the capacity to or um, the cost is much higher. Mm. Interesting. Yeah, no, it's ask questions of where you know do we is this a critical is this a critical good do we have adequate su- adequate supplies of it and can we rely on our own supply chains to provide these goods in a, in a crisis situation yeah. like maybe you should be maybe each country should be manufacturing medicine domestically as a security precaution rather than depending on, say, the Netherlands or Belgium to export it for them.
0: Mm. Yeah, I was actually about to ask, actually, um, you know, the whole kind of vaccine issue, you know, the facts. I don't know if you've, you've seen, um, I think in the UK, we're developing a vaccine or we're doing trials on a vaccine right now um, and things like that. I don't know how, how it's going, if it's going well or not. I then saw recently, I think, some US chief scientist i I don't i can't remember his name he was saying one drug could potentially help stop not help stop coronavirus but like kind of stop it ish um so like how does like a vaccine come come into this with all these kind of issues
1: um i mean i'm no expert on i mean i don't i'm not really familiar with how vaccines are manufactured in the way like you know where's the global distribution of these kinds of of those kinds of goods and uh, man, and factories i would say in the case it, it's a bit different when you have things um like vaccines especially uh this vaccine as um these aren't things of you know these aren't created for profit it's not like whoever creates the vaccine is going to patent it and then have a monopoly on its usage. Yeah. Cause that's one thing is say like medicine, uh, a lot of medical innovation is certain countries, um, you know, investing in medicine is very expensive. So companies get patents on their on their uh, chemicals and, and their and their medicines for so they can have a monopoly for a certain amount of time to recoup those costs, but this isn 't really that kind of situation you know it 's largely yeah we there are private companies, but there' are also governments, and i 'm certain that you know, if any kind of private company creates it and tries to patent it i 'm sure that will 't go well with uh, the international community oh yeah no, of course not, of course not I
0: think it would because yeah, I was I was kind of thinking in a sense, like, let's say, I don't know, let's say UK develops the vaccine first. It's like do we get first dibs and then we transaction it all the way to the world? Or that's the thing, because that was I was kind of thinking, it's like who has the sovereignty? Let's let's say who creates it first. Are they allowed to use it first? Do they distribute it worldwide? I don't know. That's that's kind of a big question, I think.
1: Well really that's the thing, is they don't like once you have a vaccine, all you really have to do is share I mean, it's not like that the country that develops the vaccine is going to manufacture the vaccine for the entire world. They can, yeah. They're most. They're likely to share that the formula with every other country in the world, and then every country will start manufacturing it. Any country that has the 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 the, the chemical capabilities will start synthesizing it. Mm. But then, what if? Okay, let's
0: say. I know this is a lot of what-if situations, but let's say UK has the vaccine, develops it, gives the chemical formula to a bunch of other states they are good friends with. What if a a different state doesn't have the same capabilities as the United Kingdom? They give them the formula, but they can't really create it. You know, what happens then? That's that's then going to be a big question to ask.
1: Well, then it's the same thing we see with any other, you know, vaccine campaigns in um, many developing countries you know they don't have they don't to me, don't have the the manufacturing capabilities to manufacture it but it's a humanitarian issue yeah you know it's not, not sure. a ma- this isn't a matter of um you know it's not like this is um something um like it's not like creatine something that's you don't really you know it's nice but you don't really like need it for many kind of medical thing it's, um, yeah, these aren't, these, aren't, these aren't made for profit and these aren't, governments aren't, um, every country in the world benefits from sharing the vaccine with every other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And any country that doesn't and isn't helping out in that effort um, isn't going to be well received by the rest of the world. No, of course not.
0: Definitely. I am 100% agree with that. It's, yeah, I think it'll be interesting just to see what, what happens about the vaccine you know but I, I definitely agree i think if someone just kept it for themselves didn't redistribute really it, which is probably not going to happen i think they'll get a lot of condemn- condemnation from the world but um no i think it's an interesting question i think for, for us to at least investigate and ask um ourselves but um kind of, let's kind of maybe go slightly away from the whole cor- coronavirus or covid19 um what are would you say the biggest challenges towards manufacturing um if you know a few of them
1: probably you know sustainability okay making sure that these businesses can actually be um i mean that's a challenge for pretty much every industry is to make sure that it can be done sustainably not um rely on you know uh, either certain very rare and um very rare materials that are hard to create and hard to find or created entirely with um or uh, a very bad a process that produces many negative um and harmful byproducts yeah figure out how to do that um the other thing with manufacturing i think is a matter of Actually, you can scratch that thought. That's actually not something.
0: No, that's okay. Um, no, that's that. fair enough. It's like, yeah, trying to find sustainability because of the fact like we, we need to, even though there's a growth of these materials, like which, which are probably good for the environment, you talked about biom- like biomaterials as well. Um, it's like, it's how do we use them and then for them not to run out because we don't want to go towards Things like fossil fuels, or towards like unenvironmental materials, kind of thing. Or so think, yeah, uh, take
1: one thing for example, there's um, there's um, certain materials that we need to pretty much manufacture any kind of electronic. Mm-hmm. So um, these are ones, these are what we call uh, technology critical elements. So these, for example, one thing element is tantalum which uh, you need for most of your cpus and smartphones you know every basically every smartphone needs tantalum but over 60 percent of that comes just from um rwanda and the democratic republic of the congo
0: ah yes
1: and you have one it's it's exacerbated instability in the region as you know there's so credible demand for that material so you have you know uh Congolese warlords you know uh, terrible instability there trying to control the um the extraction of it and we are expected to run out of it in the next um 50 years
0: mm.
1: so you have to find other alternatives for um you have to find other alternatives for um for these goods,
0: mm-hmm.
1: no, uh, absolutely. It's but just at least uh, it seems like we actually are, at, at the very, at the very least, we do appear to be finding some kinds of alternatives. So those are good signs. Yeah, but it's, that's absolutely. the importance is to uh, realize that we have reliance on certain goods and certain processes that need to be made more sustainable and more efficient, so not so, so countries aren't so reliant on, um, on certain goods.
0: Yeah. And um I actually just thought of something actually as well. It's like um I actually done a bit of research which is completely different from like mobile phones, but like things like toothpaste, which I know is super super out of the box from this conversation, but um the way toothpaste is actually manufactured is pretty bad. So for example, it uses lots of microplastics. Um and it's also in terms of packaging as well, it uses a lot of cardboard and these boxes are then just thrown away and it's like you know, it's like trying to you know it's like creating the product as well again trying to be like sustainable so it's like i think you can name so many different products which are kind of you know it's like we use this kind of material all the time for no for no real, real i mean okay the re- the reason is because it's maybe cheaper it's easy to find and things like that but then it, as soon as what you've been saying as soon as it starts to run out or well, as soon as it as soon as we know the damage is causing we have to find alternatives and the questions behind it so yeah it's very interesting to see that um
1: yeah yeah no absolutely it's um or say for example we have um take solar panels and electric cars while those are good for creating renewable energy they're not really like the process of manufacturing them and it's in some ways more harmful than you know conventional methods yeah so you have to find so yeah like a, a um uh, an electric car might be more sustainable than a conventional car because it doesn't you know you're not using fossil fuels but the batteries might require you know exorbitant amounts of specific elements and potentially rare ones that and that could create terrible uh, byproducts so it's it's even the ones even the things that we need to transition more broadly we have to find different ways of we have to make sure the things we make aren't actually um causing harm
0: yeah absolutely no it's it's true actually um it's even the whole discussion around because you talked about like solar panels and things all like electric cars but also like nuclear power so like nuclear power also is a lot in that that renewable conversation as well um i don't know know if we we might have mentioned nuclear power in one of our episodes but if we haven't like can always have that discussion but it's like nuclear power is a big talking point as well because sometimes you even though it can generate a lot of power so much so it's maybe even better for like a coal power station for example it can be really really better but it can be a lot more powerful than that at the same time it's the way of trying to trying to deal with its nuclear waste it's very expensive to, to set up i think as well um, so i think that's again it's like yeah it's like how how do we even if we have a sustainable product it's like how do we make it it's you know it's like what materials are we using is it rare is it causing a, a buy by or side effect to our environment? It's, it's very it's a very interesting question that we have to kind of have to make sure we address. But another challenge which I thought of is the decline in manufacturing jobs as well. Um, but that but at the same time, a lot of these technologies like automation are also helping the workers as well. So it's that paradox as well, which is interesting to see.
1: Yeah, I mean you can't lump all technology and just say you can't treat technology as a giant monolith of course it's going to be um it's it enhances individual worker productivity that's how yeah it enhances individual worker productivity to the point where additional workers aren't necessary
0: yeah no exactly and then you can then push those workers up like other levels to do better, more like skillful or like more not skillful but like you know like higher up like higher jobs let's just say that
1: yeah generally these generally technology results and you can do the same thing but with fewer workers and usually the new jobs created are require higher degrees of education and training yeah and the fact so that maybe will- instead of you know in like a, a car factory before you maybe just needed to um you know you just can you can you hold a wrench okay cool just screw these bolts you know just just do that for three hours and then take a break and then do that for another three hours and then you're you're good or whatever yeah you you don't have that and now it's okay you want to work at this manufacturing plant okay what do you know about like tell like um what do you know about um machine learning can you what about um industrial processes um engineering technologies what do you know about um to, to do these things but now they, instead of meeting a, a whole team of, a factory of 600 people now they might be able to do it in like 60
0: yeah it's pretty much like reducing the amount of workers you really need to do a certain job because you then have automation to help you create better efficiency um in a, in, in the workplace definitely yeah and I, I think it's interesting to see, um, I know Amazon, uh, something called like Amazon web services are looking into that as well. So it's helping to create better operational efficiencies as well, but like all sorts of companies do that. Um, just interesting. So,
1: yeah. I mean, that's a whole industry of probably engineering tech, uh, consulting is how to make, how to do this thing better. You know, where, where are things being redundant? Where are there redundancies and where can we streamline the process? So they're mm-hmm. always trying to find, because that's the driver of, um, of these businesses is cutting costs, cut costs to make more profit. And so you're going to, and the largest cost for the vast majority of firms is always labor. Absolutely. Whatever gives you makes you pay less on labor uh, is good in the company's eyes. Oh yeah,
0: exactly. Um, it's unfortunate for the workers, though. But um, well, yeah. I mean, you never know. The workers might benefit from it, but at the same time, there might be a few workers who won't benefit. You know, big. To- it's a, it's a, I think automation is a very big to- talking point. I think automation. I think is needed for certain industries, but then it's like, what happens when you have a large group of people who are who are then going to get them unemployed. It's it's a very interesting concept to talk about.
1: Yeah, well, it's um, I think it shows the limits. I think once it shows the limits of our economic model. You know, are we have an, we have economies that are largely driven on eighteenth century ideas. Yeah, and the world was a very very different place the world was a very different place 50 years ago. It was more different 100 years ago and way more different 300 years ago. And it's going to be much different in 50 years. And we, so we can't really always be assuming that um, the way we do things now, the way we have things later. Maybe, that yes, we like right now and how we have things work is you have private companies hold, um, you know, own capital and manufacture goods for profit. But if you have a, at the point where you're, you have private industries that can manufacture things with, um, so, with very little marginal costs and you have huge swaths of unemployed people who can't have access to that, then whoever is owning that goods, you know the, that the capital and the technology that's actually able to provide those services, essentially is holding them hostage for, for profit. For ransom. No, exactly. It's it's pretty.
0: Yeah, no, it's it's true. So it's, it's an it's it's an interesting future that we have, 100%. Especially with if these technologies do evolve more and more and more. So yeah, no, it's it's, it's a lot of questions to be asked. Um, and then lastly, I think we're just going to end our conversation um, almost about manufacturing. But on a, like a final note, what do you think is the future of manufacturing um,
1: overall? I would say um, you'll have um, you know uh, distributed manufacturing, manufacturing capabilities you know spread out around throughout communities rather than focused um, and centralized in specific parts of the world. You might see more ephemeral value chains as companies are become you know work very very hard to compete with one another with extreme competition. You know, maybe companies and firms are set up to just last a few month, weeks or months rather than indefinitely. And economies of scope over economies of scale. Everything, you know, you, have, you don't have to make everything. If everything can be manufactured with no marginal cost, then it doesn't really matter whether you're producing a thousand or, or one. So you can afford to make everything um, bespoke and custom for people. So you can see, and the cost of goods will likely fall as the, the, as new biodigital forms of uh, producing goods can radically cha- uh, lower the costs of, of producing certain goods, the cost of, of, of distribution. If we play our cards right, it can be, um, you know, it could be material abundance.
0: Yeah. No, it'd be interesting. Very interesting, but yeah, I think it's a definitely the future of manufacturing is something that will be um, intriguing to look into, um, especially if it's you know a lot of you know things like 3D printing, for example, um, new materials coming about. If that's what you've mentioned just now about um, the fact you can just create, you don't have to go towards other countries to get certain materials or build certain goods. You can just build it in your own countries. So I think it'll be definitely an interesting feature to look into. So, um, yeah. So I think we should go to our weak signals. So I will go first as normal. So this is actually quite related to our conversation just now. So Julia, or Julie Ann, Annie Turner from Policy Horizons Canada was talking about uh, 3D printed magne- magnetic liquids so in, in her article forever and ever 3d printed magnetic liquids um, she kind of mentioned a study by the university of massachusetts massachusetts i can't <laughs> i can't say that american city that well um, developing magnetic liquid by using a 3d printer so this is really interesting so they, it's basically they pretty much were experimenting and then just you know making you know doing a bit of fun with the 3d printer so where they created minute millimeter-sized droplets from water, oil, and iron oxides. And this then created this liquid, which was magnetic. And this was able to make various shapes, and it was very easily, it could be moved around so super super easily due to it being you know, magnetic. Um, and in this way, it's a really good way of a weak signal because it does offer um, a new way for 3D printing, not just to create, let's say, like just to make materials, but also can make liquids can create a lot of different ways. Um, uh, the fact that this liquid can produce like robots, so in that sense it reduces the the amount of cost of building these robots. So you can just have a 3D printer which then just creates it automatically. Um, and then also the medical field was also looking into this, um, so you can the fact that they kind of have to use sort of certain metals or certain materials to for like surgery now you can use this liquid to create like joints for patients who generally need like, let's say like a new leg or, or like a, an arm or, or just, you know, trying to like do surgery really. So I think it's a very interesting weak signal, something that will definitely impact and something that relates actually to manufacturing, um, which is interesting. So yeah, John, what do you think of this week's signal?
1: Definitely. I think it's a good example of new ways of doing things, new ways of producing materials. Um, being able to 3d print liquids and and physical and you know uh, other materials could definitely help um you know the more the more things the more materials the more um states of matter in which th- we can manipulate these goods the more the greater flexibility and the more things we can do with 3d printing the more we can the more we can make and the more the less we are limited by, um, you know, you can have like one little box of a 3D printer and suddenly it can make so many more things than what it once could. Yeah. You know, it's not quite a, you know, those replicators from Star Trek, but the more things it can do, the, the more and more it resembles it. Yeah, no,
0: exactly. It's a, it's a way of, you know, trying to create that Star Trek um, imagination into a reality, potentially. It's, uh, no, I think it's yeah. I think it was a really interesting just looking into it because I was pretty surprised by it. And I think it's it's interesting. I think three D printing is yeah. It, it it definitely is developing more and more, and in a in a way of developing in different ways as well, which is interesting to see. So um, yeah, very very interesting. Um, so yeah, what's your week signal, John, for this week?
1: Mine is about. So at um, the 2020 Consumer Electronics Show, uh, the credit card network MasterCard released its debut single, Merry-Go-Round, from its upcoming album, Priceless, which is exactly what I just said. MasterCard, the credit card company, is making music. So MasterCard's five-note sonic logo is woven into each song in this cross-genre album The album is made in collaboration with world-class artists, composers, producers, and musicians, and will also serve as a launch pad for up and coming artists. Uh, This is part of their sonic branding strategy, which is their attempt to harmonize the auditory experience of MasterCard across advertising and transactions into a single familiar uh, melody localized to individual cultures and contexts. And MasterCard hopes people will voluntarily stream its music on Spotify and other platforms. And so what's interesting about this is, well, music and advertising have a long history, um, but this can, can be a signal of an even deeper relationship between the two industries. As brands seek to consolidate their aesthetic experiences, they might increasingly get more involved in music production. So imagine the you know—the um, the hottest crossovers of the year being put together by prominent brands. Like, imagine Nike releasing the next big hip-hop hit titled Just Do It, and it's featuring Drake, Tyga, and Jay-Z. Or um, advertisers might get more involved in the composition of the process, sponsoring artists who incorporate their sonic logos into their music. Mm. So um, streaming services and radios might shift away from traditional advertising models rather... um, you know, instead of, um, like, okay, here's an ad, maybe you might, uh, hear, listen to this sponsored song or, uh, you listen, you can choose, you know, you can listen up to five songs or whatever you want up to for, um, five in a row. And then you have to listen to one of these sponsored songs for us.
0: Yeah. As, okay. Um,
1: more and more companies begin to create copyrighted Sonic brands. It could be interesting to see how this might, um, the increasing trademarking of uh, melodic expressions might impact organic music composition.
0: Mm.
1: Yeah. That's pretty interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, uh, go go ahead.
0: So yeah, it just sounds like, um, yeah, it's like what you've kind of mentioned. It's the fact that, um, yeah, it's literally, um, it's, yeah, it's, it's making the brand and the music industries a lot, lot closer together. Just sounds interesting. Um, I don't know if it would change, i don't know though i feel like music should be something that is organic something that is unique to the artist not just but at the same time i think music has changed to be a bit more brand based as well so that's the thing but no sorry go ahead
1: yeah pop music is you want to say that music should be organic and you know by the people but pop pop culture and pop music is very manufactured it is very branded you know they all have their aesthetic if you notice most top bands you know they all have that consistent font and they're basically their name is a logo yeah they might even have their own little logo and a symbol so uh, it's um so while they are themselves you know their own brand um you know imagine you know it could be interesting to see maybe um in the future the you look at billboard 100 and you might see that the top artists are Deutsche Bank, Burger King, and HSBC.
0: Yeah, no, exactly. Like, oh God, that'd be really that be really weird to look at. That's <laughs> um, yeah, that's super interesting. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not—I'm not, I'm not too sure about this. I think it's
1: even no, though, though it's like, whether um, you know the merry-go-round and this album, you know, pick up because the idea is that they want people to listen to the music on their own voluntarily, basically. You know, I don't have to show you ads if you're autom- to to keep you in your to keep my brand in your head if you're voluntarily listening to my uh, to my advertisement. So if this if this catches on, you know maybe other companies might do it or maybe people just laughed at Mastercard for releasing an album and you know this just goes away into obscurity.
0: Yeah, well that's the thing. I'm just like. <laughs> I don't know. I, and the fact that saying like, oh, the listener's going to voluntarily listen to it, quote unquote, I'm just like, I don't know. I think Mastercard will, punch, will put a bunch of advertising, the person will see it, oh, I might just listen to it. I don't know if, I don't know if that's completely voluntary. I don't know. Even the person's, even the person's choosing to do it, I just think advertising might come into it as well. I don't know. That's the only well, thing.
1: people don't like being advertised to. Yeah. But it's a lot better if you don't think of it as advertising you just think of it i really like this is a really catchy song and i like the i like the singer maybe you're just listening to it because you like the singer but you're not listening to it for mastercard but you're being exposed to it nonetheless
0: Mm, yeah maybe
1: or you know maybe artists might yeah maybe it's not in the future you might not see um certain um you know, it might not be the brands themselves presenting themselves as the artist, but maybe let's say, um, you know, the next song by, by Jay-Z has, uh, is sponsored by Nike and he's paid to either put in their, the Sonic logo or to, um, to say just do it. Yeah. And so while people aren't listening to it for Nike, people are listening to it for Jay-Z and they're inadvertently being advertised to.
0: And also, it would also depend on what the company is, if the artist is um, trying to like, I'm not saying promote it, but let's say like, what if the artist is on a, is on a, tr- is on a track for a company that is, let's say, a uh, oil company, like a, or like a pipeline or a, I don't know, like a war manufacturing. I'm not saying this is going to happen, but like, you never know. Like, what if that happens? You know, it's like, that's going to be interesting.
1: Oh, definitely. It's, um, yeah, I mean, it's a matter of, um, I'm sure there will be, these people will, I mean, these are industries that probably will want to, um, well, yeah, I guess it's, it's a, yes, it does depend on what company it is. On the one hand, it probably might be like MasterCard is very consumer facing. So it is, it's, it's expected that other consumer oriented companies will focus on, on that. It's not likely that, um, I mean, maybe in the States, they might have like gun manufacturers doing it just because, you know, they, they're into that, (laughs) Um, you know, for the most part, arms manufacturers deal with governments and, um, you know, less than credible militant groups so it's it's unlikely they're going to you know advertise for that um because it's not dealing with consumers but maybe yeah. they might do it for like a, a pr thing yeah no, like, it's like maybe the oil company is like oh who can hate this oil company when they release such an upbeat song <laughs> God,
0: yeah no, it's, it's, or it's maybe wrong. it just you
1: know it falls all falls on on falls on deaf ears
0: yeah no it's true i you know what with one I'm gonna try and where, 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 whenever Mastercard releases this, this these tracks, it's gonna be
1: interesting. I, I might listen to it just just see what it is. You can listen what? to the, the single. the 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 debut single is called merry Go Round" and is on YouTube. Um, oh, is it? But the album "Priceless" is supposed to uh, come out sometime this spring. This
0: spring, okay, so it's soon.
1: Okay, interesting.
0: Yeah. Okay, give it give it a listen, guys. Whoever's listened to it. So yeah, all right, fair enough cool um do you have anything else to add
1: or you good that's all for me
0: perfect all right thank you john for uh coming in for this conversation um thanks guys for who is who are listening uh to this episode uh you can find our other episodes on spotify and on apple podcasts um tune in for next week for another episode thanks very much and yeah stay tuned